Well, we're just getting ready for a presentation of the book of John, the modern passion play. And we've been distributing copies of the gospel of John. I've been preaching through uh, the seven I am statements that Jesus makes that are unique to the gospel of John. Today we come to hear the six I am statement that Jesus makes. We've heard him say in the past, uh, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Now, last week we heard him say those very, very, very important and familiar words, I am the resurrection and the life. And we claim that as in, a, in our Christian faith because we need that as we all of us face death. Well, today we hear him say something else, very, very special to us, very unique to our faith as believers in Christ and followers after Christ. We hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm sure we've heard that if you've been in church, you've been in your Bible for a while. But hopefully today we could give a little bit more expanded explanation to that and how we can grasp the significance of that today as we put it into the context of what the disciples were experiencing and how we should experience it today in our context. If you have a Bible or your phone app or whatever you're going to use to follow along in the reading of Scripture, we'll be in John chapter 14 verses 5 through 11. Uh, Jesus has just talked to his disciples about where he's going and the, um, the reason that he is going. They don't understand. We'll come back and talk about that in a few minutes. But that leads us to verse 5. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, this is two disciples now interacting with Jesus. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. After all the teaching that Jesus had done about he and the Father were one. Now this is the I am God speaking, affirming his uh, pre-existence and his equality, his oneness with God. So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe me on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Now, Jesus makes that bold statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's so significant for us because at, at many different times in our life, we're, we're making journeys, we're making trips somewhere, and we need to know the way. Modern navigation today helps us out on your phone, your car. I mean, you've got things like uh, 
uh, Google Maps and you got Waze that tells you. Uh, that, that's a fascinating app. If you don't have that on, on your on your car or your phone or whatever, when you're traveling, Waze is a is a it's a unique thing. It tells you what's coming up on the side. It tell you there's a pothole here. They tell you there's a cop got a car pulled over here. They tell you there's two or three cars that are pulled off to the side of the road. I mean, just an amazing thing. But you know, sometimes all those modern devices have a failure in them. They don't always get us to where we're supposed to go. And so one of the best ways to get to where you want to go is to have somebody with you who knows the way and who can take you and help you to get there. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's talking about the spiritual journey that we need to take with the ultimate destination being the kingdom of God and heaven and having a real and meaningful life in this world and eternal life in the world to come. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now let's break that down, this whole context here, and think first of all about the setting with the disciples. Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room. The Passover meal had been shared. Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. Judas had already departed to betray Jesus. Jesus told the others that one, Peter, would deny him and that all of them would forsake him. Then the worst news of all comes to them is that he tells them that he was leaving and he was going where they could not go at that particular time. John 13, 33 says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. And that leads us to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John and those very, very familiar words that we often claim at times of death so we have the reassurance of this life that Jesus promises to us and the comfort that that gives to us. He said to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me, trust also, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, those are the words that Jesus used to tell them two things. Number one, that he was departing from them and he's talking about his death. And number two, he's talking about the fact that he is going to a very special place. He will come back when he has prepared that for them and he will take them there. And he says in that context, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the context here we find is that the disciples are not thinking about eternity. They're thinking about immediate times in which they lived. But Jesus said to them, do not let your heart be troubled. The Greek actually says, don't let yourself be continually stressed and stirred up. Don't get yourself agitated is what Jesus is saying to them. And Jesus used the same word when he talked about the fact that now my soul is troubled. As he faced the crucifixion, he said, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose, I came to this hour. You see, Jesus' agitated soul was quieted because of the sovereign God's comfort in his life. And he was praying and asking that this same comfort would be in the lives of the disciples and that they would no longer be fearful and frightful. You see, but against all the backdrop that had transpired in such a brief period of time, 
This was an emotionally charged moment that Jesus had with the disciples, and they were not fully comprehending what Jesus was talking about. Once again, they were thinking about now. Jesus was talking about eternity and heaven. I like the story of a little boy named Kevin who was out with his grandfather on a Saturday morning on the way to get some breakfast. They climbed into Granddad's truck and they started down the road. And Granddad thought this was a good time to talk to Kevin about some spiritual things. So he said, he said, Kevin, which way is heaven? Kevin pointed up. They said, Kevin, which way is hell? And Kevin pointed down. And then Grandpa looked at him and he said, where are you going, Kevin? And with a big smile on his face, Kevin said, we're going to Dunkin' Donuts. Well, that was true in the immediate sense. But Grandpa was asking questions about eternity, more significant questions than that. And then in this discourse we see that Thomas appears again. We normally think about Thomas at the end of the Gospel of John, after the resurrection of Jesus, and for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there behind the locked doors when, when Jesus came and suddenly appeared in their midst. And he's always had a bad rap as being doubting Thomas. I don't think so at all. You see, Thomas and it was one who, as he gets a lot of bad press, he was one who we could call the bottom line disciple. Thomas wanted to make sure that what he was committing his life to was of the utmost importance and was real and true. He wanted to know that he was committing his life and his destiny to follow after Jesus truly into the kingdom of God. And we do believe that he did that because legend tells us that he died as a martyr in India. But it was Thomas's question in all sincerity that said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? See, Jesus had to explain that to them. And the answer to Thomas's question is the great I am statement that we hear today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus wasn't simply giving them information. He simply wasn't giving them directions in life. But he was saying to them once again, as the I am God, as he has said in all of these I am statements, I am sufficient to get you to the kingdom of God and to life everlasting because I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, Jesus didn't answer the where question that was asked. He changed it immediately the way he answered the way question. See, Jesus is not only sufficient to provide a place for us, but he is sufficient to be the way to that place. So Jesus is the I am God says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am sufficient to get you there. Let me take you to the kingdom of God. Now that's the setting behind this. Now when we look at the statement, it's a statement of the disclosure. We need to understand that. It's a statement of disclosure. So we have to ask the question, do we really understand this I am statement any better today than the disciples did back then? You see, like them, especially Philip, I think we miss the obvious. 
a wonderful experience in life was missed because he simply was not focused. Somehow a, a, a picture popped into my mind of an advertisement somewhere of a, of a wonderful tropical paradise and a beautiful sandy beach with sand, white sand and, and crystal clear water that had a blue tint to it. And here was a tourist down on vacation. They paid no telling how much money to go to that, that paradise and he's standing with his back to that beautiful scene with a seashell over his ear, thinking he's listening to the roaring of the sea. And we all know that he wasn't, right? You put a seashell up to your ear, you're just hearing the inside of your ear roaring. You're not hearing the ocean. We've been told that for years and years and years, and whoever started that didn't do us any favors by telling us that. But there's that picture I have of the beautiful tropical paradise setting and the guy with his back turned to the beach with a seashell over his ear. I think that's where the disciples were at that moment. They were missing a wonderfully significant, pensive moment with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Philip is obvious in that. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. I don't know how Jesus could have answered him and, and not re- responded with his voice in it. In it it's just in a in amazement, or or his voice in a way that would be condescending to Philip when he asked that question. But I think very gently and very carefully, Jesus is saying, "Have I been with you so long that you still don't know who I am, Philip?" And he clarifies once again that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and he is backing up what he has always said, that I am the I am God, and I am sufficient for all of your needs. And here he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. When you think about the religions of the world, every one of them claims to be the way, right? Right? But the way to what? Depends upon which religion you study. It could be to a high level of consciousness. Or it could be to that marvelous place known as nirvana. Or it could be to a higher level of reincarnation. And Jesus is not the way to any of those, but to the highest desire of every life. And that is that Jesus is the way to God. And that's significant because we trace that desire back to the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve chose to sin, they broke that relationship between mankind and God. And that initial way, life in paradise was closed to mankind. But God opened a new way in the right place through the incarnation and suffering of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as that babe that we came to worship as the, as the Messiah. He came in the fulfillment of, of Genesis 3.15 in which we find the, the first promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is known as Proto-Evangelium, which means that is the first proclamation of the gospel. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's where God was speaking to the serpent, who was Satan in that serpent. And he was addressing two obstacles that always stand in our way to God, guilt and corruption. 
Guilt is the guilt over our past sins and the way that we have lived. And corruption is the corruption of our will, which leads to more sin and separation from God. But Jesus is the I am God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Removes both of those distortions of the truth, guilt and corruption. And he does so by his sacrificial death in our place. That's why Acts 4.12 says to us, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which you must be saved. It says to us that if you really want to go to God, we must go by the way that he has provided, and that is Jesus Christ. Then secondly, Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the truth. Well, what does that mean? You remember Pilate asked that question of Jesus? And it came after he had asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus ended his reply by saying, everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Well, truth was standing before him. Because truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And then Pilate did a very interesting thing. That's when he went out to the people who were waiting for his decision and he let it be known to them that he found no fault in Jesus. And he found no reason for Jesus to be crucified. In fact, he believed, I think, that Jesus was the truth and he was truthful in what he was saying. And maybe he asked the question for all of us when he asked, what is truth? And truth is reality. That's Jesus Christ. He is the truth about us. He is the truth about you and the truth about me. Because we see what sin has done in us and what sin has put us through. Jesus is also the truth about God. He is one with the Father. He is the preexistent incarnate Christ who is one with the Father. And in Christ the Redeemer we see the God who would send his Son into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world. In his son, God went to Calvary for us, not as a symbol or demonstration, but as a reality, taking our sin on his shoulders. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes that great exchange for us where it tells us that he made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is the truth of God's promise for salvation. And then Jesus is the life. As the I am sufficient God, Jesus is the originator and the sustainer of life. He is also the source of our spiritual life. And without Jesus, we are dead in our sins. But with Jesus, we are made spiritually alive for all eternity. You see, John 3, 17 and 18 tells us that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. Because he talks about the fact that without faith we're already condemned. But the verse preceding that is so precious to us because he gives us the promise of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, Jesus is the life from God because he gives us eternal life as we trust in him 
than as we believe in him. Now that leads us then to the third and final point, and that's the significance of this declaration that Jesus makes today. When we hear him say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, what is the significance of, a, of that for us now? See, we live in the now, but we want to focus on the eternal. So here are three things to remember about the significance of this declaration. First of all, we don't have to live eternally separated from God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they broke that relationship with God. And they, on their own, they had no hope of restoring that relationship to God. The same is true with us. On our own, we sinned. We broke the relationship with God. On our own, we cannot make that right and get back in a relationship with God. But when God sent Jesus as the baby born in Bethlehem, God was saying, this is the way. I'm coming to bridge that gap between us. And Jesus is saying that he is the way that we return to relationship and communion and fellowship with God. So you don't have to remain separated from God any longer. The second thing is Jesus says, I am the only way to God. Boy, in this pluralistic culture in which we live today, there are so many people claiming that there are many, many ways in which you can get to God. There are so many, many, many religions that say, this is all you have to do. This is all you have to do if you want to experience paradise, if you want to experience life with God through Jesus Christ. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. Let me pose the question to you again that's been posed ever since the gospel began to be proclaimed. If there were other ways to get to God, would God have sent his son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross for your sins? Absolutely not. There is one and only one way to have a relationship with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God. And the salvation offered through Christianity is unique. Every other religion says do this. In our Christian faith, God has done everything for us. That's his grace. That's his grace that comes to us that is through Jesus Christ who is the only way to God. And then thirdly, the way to God is personal, relational, and understandable. Sometimes life can be complicated. We've got a lot of different things that have been brought into our world through the uniqueness of, of technology that's supposed to make our life easier, and sometimes it makes it more frustrating. When, when your technology is working and you're online and everything is great, then it's fine. It's wonderful. But when your phone dies or your computer dies or something happens and you get offline, life is a miserable mess, isn't it? We're so dependent upon technology, and then it leaves us. Our relationship with God is not complicated. It's not based on technology. It's based on a relationship. It's personal, it's relational, and it's understandable. It's simple as this. We sinned. God loved us. He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. He sent his own son to come into this world and die for our sins so that we might have everlasting life. That life is in a person, not in a proposal. He sent a Savior, not a commentator. 
God made salvation personal, relational, and understandable. So, we wrap this up today. We hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in that we find three key questions that everyone has answered in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. First question is, how can I be saved? And that's through Jesus. He is the way. Second question is, how can I be sure? Then that's through Jesus because he is the truth. And thirdly, how can I be satisfied? That's through Jesus. He is the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is sufficient for your salvation. He is sufficient to take you to God. He is sufficient for that wonderful, abundant life you want to live. Trust Him today. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we hear the words of your Son and our Savior Jesus Christ today that challenge us because He simply says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to understand that this saying was in the context of eternity, but yet we apply it to our lives today. Salvation is for today, for now. The words of Scripture say, Behold, today is the day of salvation. So, Father, I pray that you would move in the heart and the spirit of anyone here today who's not in a relationship with you. And then, Father, for those of us who know you, help us to serve you better. Help us to live as Jesus Christ would want us to live. Help us to live so that we reflect the way to those around us who do not know the way, as the disciples of old asked before they understood Father, I ask that you would hear our prayer today and that your spirit would move in this church and in this place today. And we would see decisions made for you. For the I am God, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And in whose name I pray. Amen.